I'm Alex Marlowe, Editor-in-Chief of Breitbart News, and this is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. We have an action-packed opening of the show today. We start with the Senate's failed effort to pass a radical abortion bill. I give you the latest on Merrick Garland's lawless approach to the harassment of Supreme Court justices. More on the horrific baby formula crisis that is sweeping the nation. We have massive shortages, and I explain what's going on. And new inflation data, scarier than before, it's actually subseded prognosticators' expectations, which were already pretty bad. Meanwhile, the Democrats and Republicans alike are spending time cutting huge checks to Ukraine, even though we don't really know where all that money is going to go, and we don't even really know if we have that money. Why not just send weapons, as Zelensky asked? It's bizarre, or maybe it's entirely typical. We also touch on an intriguing and mysterious development in the Kathy Barnett candidacy in the Pennsylvania Senate race, plus much more in the opening of the show. We have two terrific guests. First is Tom Homan, who is the acting ICE director under President Trump, specifically during the years where the former president was focused on immigration and border security issues. And he's heading up a new initiative that's designed to solidify a game plan on illegal immigration that Republicans can implement as soon as they take power, though the director correctly, I believe, frames the issue as nonpartisan. Then J.D. Vance returns to the show for the first time since he won his hard-fought primary in Ohio. He gives us the keys to his victory, and then we get into the Democrats' abortion radicalism, why he thinks America is going through a period of managed decline, and what we see with these continued supply chain interruptions. We get his take on that and how it connects to globalism and specifically our relationship with China. All that to come right now. to say the biggest thing i believe that's probably happening now is the uh a baby food crisis that's happening particularly baby formula it's not isolated to formula um, but as mentioned on the show yesterday uh with uh, abbott laboratories known probably for the coronavirus test lately but uh, they had a voluntary recall over some formulas that after a few infants were hospitalized and two died though again it is not proven whether or not for sure it had to do with the formula they do recall, and that added to some supply chain woes. Baby formula can be complicated to make and produce, and uh, it is there's somewhere along the line, I don't know that we pinpointed it exactly, the processes got held up, and formula has been harder to find. I know this as I'm in a, a formula family, a family, and it's been harder to find over the last couple of months. And then now certain types of formula are just gone. And um, it's this has been an issue that I've been noticing on a personal level. Now the, the issue has just gone mainstream. And part of the reason why it's gone mainstream is not just because when Joe Biden, who does hector people about food crises, and uh, he was even doing it yesterday where he was seemed to be yelling at people. Uh, almost, he gave a speech where he was almost kind of yelling about uh, food because of, you know, the uh, MAGA guys who I guess are, you know, depriving people of uh, essential resources because, again, you got to pass the buck. Great MAGA king um, uh, causing food lines is what he was saying. Very weird. He's really into saying MAGA. He thinks if he just says MAGA enough, he's going to be able to solve any, all of his problems as we played yesterday. 
Um, but he is constantly warning about stuff like that. At least he was, but nothing was really done about this baby food crisis, this formula crisis that we're now in. It just seems like there is no plan. And one reason we know there's no plan is because the White House was asked, who's running point on this issue? And here is what Deputy Press Secretary Corrine Jean-Pierre had to say. Let's play cut 17, Haley, go. Right. Who's yeah. running point on the on the, the formula issue at the White House? You mentioned the White House is involved. I, I mean, I, I at the White House, I don't I I don't know. I could find out for you and get you a person who's running point. Um, but I, I don't have a, a person. In she's so impressive. Oh, she's going to be good. She's no idea who is dealing with the biggest crisis facing the White House, arguably at the moment. Not say there are a lot of crises facing the White House. We get into more, but arguably at the moment that this is the one, and um, she doesn't know who's running it. Doesn't know who's running it. What's that about? Uh, imagine the outrage if President Trump was in, this was happening, and they, he didn't have anyone in charge. Where are the hearings? Where are the people who are responsible for this? Can we figure it out? And can we figure out what this administration and what the Congress that's busy trying to, you know, codify abortion laws and a focus on how much money we should send to Ukraine, where have they been? Anyone paying attention? Is no one paying attention in this country right now? That's what it feels like some days. Former Trump aide Stephen Miller wrote uh, that there'd be no formula shortage if President Trump was in office, but let's say there was. He says he'd have instantly used executive orders, brought formula CEOs to the Oval Office for meetings, held cabinet meetings to break all log jams, told the FDA head to fix it or be fired, make all staff work overtime until it was solved. And what Biden's done is pass the buck everywhere. That's a good point. It, it is true. It is one of the things that Trump would have, have tried to deal with. He would have uh, urgently dealt with it. Not to say Trump got everything right, as you guys know, but th there's no doubt that this would have at least been identified and there would have been someone in charge. And the establishment media that has chosen just to be the exact same as the White House, recall that Green John Pierre's wife is a CNN anchor, and Jen Psaki, who will be departing the White House tomorrow, will be going straight to MSNBC. Just recall, this is part of the reason why people aren't paying attention. It's the same people. So uh, well, how are you going to uh, rough up uh, Jen Psaki when trying to hire her? Um, do, do CNN, do they run by tough, uh, they run tough questions now by uh, Suzanne Malvo, the spouse of the press secretary, incoming press secretary? Or can they just ask a tough question? What's she chuckling about, by the way? It's offensive. It's totally offensive. Just in my family, you did the, Mrs. Dr. Marlowe ran out to a bunch of stores to see what she could get. Couldn't get all the, our normal, fam, our normal formula. Most of the stores are out. We got one tub, which was sort of surprising of the Arborford formula, looking around online everywhere. Certain stores don't have it for 100 miles. It's, it's hilarious that no one's in charge. Who is in charge over there? Let's go reach out to Ron Klain for an interview. I'm sure he'll be forthcoming. Starving babies in the United States of America. Because why? We're so focused on how much Ukraine money should be, should be uh, broken off and uh, whether or not you should have the right to kill the babies in the eighth trimester. Nice. So that's the first topic. More is coming out on the Ministry of Truth, Nina Jankovitz. She worked on the, she spread the Alpha Bank hoax before the 2016 election. 
This is the latest thing she put forward. Uh, this is at the heart of the special counsel John Durham prosecution. She tweeted a Hillary Clinton tweet that included elements of the Alpha Bank hoax, which was later discredited. And she just flat out put it out there. There's no big whoop. Hoax pushed the Clinton campaign aide Jake Sullivan, who now is the national security advisor under President um, of Biden. I'm sorry, it was pu- pushed by Sullivan. Sullivan had the main role in pushing it. Um, the um, th- This is yet another example of something where if it is a falsehood that fits a narrative, then it is okay to do. It is true. The Washington Examiner caught this first. They said Jankovic repeatedly shared other collusion claims throughout 2016, including information from Steele's discredited dossier. The British ex-spy was hired by Fusion GPS, which was then hired by the Clinton campaign general counsel Mark Elias. New York Post added the allegations about Trump and Alpha Bank are among the numerous false claims spread in recent years by Jankovic, a purported disinformation expert. Nice. Okay, this is um, uh, Hillary Clinton had tweeted that Trump had a secret server that uh, communicated with a with the the bank, which is Russian, so it's tied to Putin, and so Trump was uh, uh, had a secret server to communicate with this Russian bank. Jankovic spread it. She's now in charge of truth in this country. Uh, you guys sitting down because here's a shocking one. She says that Hunter Biden did nothing wrong. Is that nice? She put out a major statement uh, suggesting that the the uh, in a this is from a I think her one of her books, um, and she called him a foreign expert. So he's an expert. Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden defended Hunter Biden, and then she gets this job. Uh, do you think that's coincidental? Do you think that perhaps she wrote something nice about Hunter Biden because she was angling for better and better administration jobs? I'm guessing that they're connected. All right, other things that are not of interest to this White House beyond fixing the baby formula issue is protecting the federal laws that make it so that you cannot intimidate Supreme Court justices. Noted this on yesterday's show. It's worth repeating because there's been no advancement on the topic and there should be should be brought up every day. The Attorney General Merrick Garland has refused to enforce laws that protect Supreme Court justices. You're not allowed to protest at their house. Uh, and yet that's being done. Um, there's reason to believe at least one justice has been forced to leave his house. Um, and again, you don't know the 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 extent to it, uh, the extent of it. I'm saying I've got all the information here. If I did, I'll report it very clearly. If I do, but uh, the idea that you have hundreds of protesters showing up at someone's house where they have children, for example, because the attorney general who's in charge of enforcing the laws of this country will not enforce this one because he doesn't want to because he's a left-wing hack and he's not someone who actually cares about law and order. It's not a good thing. See, federal law. Crystal clear. John Nolte writes it out from the 18 U.S. Code 1507 on picketing or parading. is very crystal clear. We have the exact statute. Read it at Breitbart. But you are not to protest at or near the residence occupied by anyone such as a judge, juror, witness, or court officer. 
So not allowed to do. Why is it being done in this country at this time? Again, it all traces to our media, our broken news media. So what was the focus, though, yesterday was trying to actually expand Roe versus Wade, which failed. Senate failed to pass a Democrat abortion bill uh, on Wednesday. The reason why it failed was because uh, they couldn't even convince their entire party. Joe Manchin said he would like to codify Roe versus Wade, but he noted that this Chuck Schumer bill correctly is an expansion. We've got a clip of Manchin talking about it. Let's play cut five, please, Haley. Thank you. Go ahead. The bill we have today to vote on, the Women's Health Protection Act, and I respect people who support, but don't make no mistake, it is not Roe v. Wade codification. It's an expansion. It wipes 500, 500 state laws off the books. It expands abortion. And with that, that's not where we are today. We should not be dividing this country further than we're already divided. And it's, it's really the, the, the politics of Congress that's dividing the country. It's not the people. They're telling us what they want. And uh, it's just disappointing that uh, we're going to be voting on a piece of legislation, which I will not vote for today. Yeah, and this is what I was noting earlier in, um, not, not this week, it might have been the prior week. It was either this week or last week. But the point is, is that the Democrats, their core base uh, is just far radical than most of the country on this topic. I think most of the country on this topic would tolerate a certain level of abortion very early on in the first term uh, or in the first trimester and uh, absolutely would like it abolished late. And I think there could be a few notable exceptions. Uh, anything beyond those first few weeks, I think that there's a, a reasonable debate that Americans would have if they were uh, taught, if they were talked to like adults. But it says here's what, here's what we get: we get a bill that would just wipe out states' rights completely, and just codify abortion all across the board. Uh, and I think that the calculus is not necessarily that this would pass; it's just that it would motivate people, motivate people to uh, show up to the polls. But how much is this going to off offset the fact that they have not solved? Issues like baby formula crises. Um, I'm about to get into inflation numbers, which are horrifying. And then we keep sending money to Ukraine so that Ukraine can fight a border war with Russia. Perhaps this is why the majority disapprove of Nancy Pelosi, and she's now the most unpopular congressional leader, according to Rasmussen Reports poll. I'm wondering if she's going to try, if she's going to announce she's going to step down at some point. She can't do it too soon because if she does, it's going to hurt the Democrats in November. But I think she's going to have to say it's over, right? She's going to have to hang it up at this point. 368 Democrats and Republicans in total voted to give $40 billion in aid during Ukraine, despite a 40 year high in inflation to get to some of those uh, we make a habit of listing all of the names of the people who supported it and some of them are not people I uh, uh, dislike there's a few people who are on the show from time to time and I, I don't know the, I don't know if the number needed to be zero but 40 billion that we don't have right now it's the where is the effort to do where's the 40 billion going towards making sure we have enough baby formula Catholic League noted, by the way, in this abortion act that it is the most radical pro-abortion piece of legislation that's ever been proposed. So, and why is it, why is it getting proposed now? Like, why was that not put on the floor before these leaks? 
that should never have come out. Let's not forget that. Um, one more on Hunter before I get to the inflation data. Hunter tried to settle a Justice Department probe into tax fraud and money laundering, according to New York Times report. So there's a lot of investigation to Hunter. I don't know you the full scope of what's going on. Trump appointed U.S. prosecutor David Weiss has been weighing for months whether there is sufficient evidence to indict Hunter. Wendell Sebo writes for us at Breitbart. And the probe is wrapping up after a years-long investigation, and Hunter's hoping to settle the investigation without criminal or civil charges, according to the Times. So it's amazing, because I learned from Nina Jankovic that he did nothing wrong. So why would he settle? He should just have his name cleared. She specifically defended his deals with Burisma that were first unearthed by Peter Schweitzer um, that involved him getting $83,000 per month uh, to be on the Ukrainian Burisma Holdings Board from 2014 to 2019 when he was in the board, despite having no background in Ukraine or the energy uh, that he was supposed to be um, consulting on. So clearly he was selling influence as his... Uh, in access to his father. That was the plan. Big guy getting kickbacks, of course. Here's another one we should uh, talk about. Drug overdose deaths are rising nearly 15%. So the fentanyl that's coming over the border, which is so, so potent. A lot of it made in China, sold by the Mexican cartels, and enters the country through our open border that Joe Biden refuses to enforce and is trying to make more lax, and now we're 15% additional overdoses. 107,000 people in the U.S. died from drug overdoses in 2021. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's a big number. 80,000 of which were due to opioids. That's a big number and rising. I don't mean to come in the show with only bummer news. I mean, it's just, just the way things are going right now. Because it seems like of all with all these clear problems... Mounting, I don't know if I've ever seen someone on such a cold streak. It's almost unfathomable to think about how badly Joe Biden's doing. It's very difficult to see where you could. I had a theory earlier in his presidency that maybe you could make the case he was being successful in his version, whatever his version of success is. Um, but scary numbers on core inflation. So core inflation is a interesting concept. John Carney writes uh, about it in our Breitbart Business Digest that he and I work on newsletter. You can subscribe to it on the front page of Breitbart. Um, but uh, Carney writes that core inflation, um, which is about the uh, consumer price index, which is a big report you get monthly, which you got yesterday. Uh, but it, it's core inflation, CPI minus food and fuel, which Carney says is jokingly called inflation minus essentials. Um, but economists look at it because sometimes gas prices are beholden to OPEC and uh, our own government's policies. Like, for example, when Biden will stop, you know, uh, issuing new permits for drilling and we're not putting new rigs in the ground. Food prices are also vol- volatile to certain idiosyncrasies. Um, and sometimes they don't necessarily reflect on what's going on in the rest of the country. But core inflation was up 0.6% in April compared with the previous month, which is twice what people were expecting. 
And there's no evidence that the supply chain crises are easing. In fact, if you look at the baby food issue or the formula issue, it looks like it's getting worse. Furniture prices rose 1.5%. So that means over uh, the last year, they're up 15% furniture. Tools and hardware rose again to so 11.2% annually. New vehicle prices, 13.2% annually. Um, the used cars declined as well as apparel and appliances, but overall, this is still, they're still up big around 10% total year over year. So there was hope that there would be evidence that at least we'd hit peak inflation and it was going to cool, even though it might continue that it was going to cool. And uh, we did not end up seeing that which ended up sending stocks plunging. The NASDAQ composite dropped 13.18%. The Dow Jones fell 1%. So NASDAQ is now down 30% from a record high it hit in November. And for the Biden presidency, NASDAQ is now down 13%. So uh, it, it, it's pretty remarkable that any gains during the Biden administration um, in the S&P are falling and then they might hit zero. And I think we might end up having, if you put your, if you took your money out of the stock market before Biden, I think we might end up seeing, you could end up saving money overall. Even if you're investing those blue chip stocks, We're, we could be heading towards that moment. So what's the plan? The plan is to blame Putin and that's it, I guess. Meanwhile, he's canceling oil and gas lease sales in Alaska and the Gulf of Mexico. Again, I don't know what to do because I don't want to keep reporting all this horrible stuff. But it is it is horrible stuff. I mean, there's just no other way to put it. There's just no good news that's coming out of this economy for the most part. And it seems like things only keep getting worse. We had a really interesting interview um, that aired on... Um, yesterday's show with Colin Wayne, who's an entrepreneur, and he has a company called Redline Steel, among other companies. He's a big-time influencer online. And just talking about how uh, if you're trying to be, uh, you're, it, there's disincentive now for made-in-America products because it's just so difficult. Do you know why this is happening? According to White House economic advisor Cecilia Rouse, the reason why we're having so much inflation is because these are the consequences of us mounting an effective response to the pandemic. What's going on? It's because we beat the pandemic. We beat the virus. That's why. That's what's going on. Overall, consumer prices are up 8.3%, which is worse than expected. And um, a lot of the reason even uh, Pete Buttigieg is, is acknowledging that some of the reason why prices are up so high is because we cut checks to people, just printed a bunch of money. Grocery store prices are up 10.8%, which is the most in 42 years. Again, this makes all those Republicans, and there's so many of them who are voting to cut checks to Ukraine. I just like I just don't I just don't see how this is remotely appropriate at this time. But maybe that's just me. Maybe that's just me. And it's gonna be up to a lot of Republicans to take matters in their own hands. Because Democrats are just not acting on some of these things. Glenn Youngkin, the governor of 
Virginia is trying to get local police. He's requested local police to establish security perimeters around the home, Supreme Court justices. It's big because we don't know when the exact decision is going to come down and whether or not that will uh, renew levels to protest, um, and perhaps violently. So that is what we don't want because uh, there are a lot of frustrated people in this country and that leads to bad decisions. Lori Lightfoot tweeted a, that it's a call to arms. She needs a call to arms over LGBTQ plus 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 issues, meaning abortion, whatever. So it's a, a what if a Republican tweeted it's a call to arms? I don't think they would have. A couple other things that I'll mention Kathy Barnett, who is running neck and neck with David McCormick and uh, Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania in an ultra compelling race. Uh, she's someone who does come off as authentic. She has a lot of stuff that is seems accurate, um, but is uh, a, a she's out there. She's out there in some regards. And she's riding the coattails. This guy, Mastriano, who is leading the governor primary for Republicans, is a very weird guy and um, uh, had a pretty vicious attack on one of our reporters for asking a basic question, which I reported on the show which was uh, entirely unfair. And I think he was at the January the 6th riot, right? Is that the story? So he's uh, surprisingly leading, and I think he is... Um, I, I, I think this is... Um, I think the fact that the McCormick campaign has been kind of cast as a globalist pro-China campaign. I'm not, I don't believe that's how he would govern or, or not govern. I don't think that's how he would legislate if he got made to the Senate, but that's how he's being cast. And then you've got Dr. Oz, who's a total oddball and shouldn't be the primary in general, in my opinion. Um, so then uh, one of the votes that where people can go was Kathy Barnett, Barnett, who got a super viral moment by saying that she is a lie, basically because her mother chose not to abort her, even though she... Uh, was conceived in less than ideal circumstances, shall we say? And um, that was a very compelling thing, and it's uh, it prompted her, I think, to surge in the polls. Those two factors: the kind of uh, lack of a front runner, lack of a consensus candidate, and a, a viral moment, um, which we posted as the lead story, Breitbart News, when it happened. She brought this up. And so now people are kind of looking into her record, which we're doing a bright part. This is due diligence. Some people don't want her record to be looked into, which is very weird. It's a very weird thing that's online. But um, there's she's not being forthcoming about her military record. She said she had 10 years of service in the Armed Forces National Guard, which I don't know what that means, um, but I think she was in the Army National Guard. I think there must be a typo or something on her website. And so we're trying to figure out the extent to which her service took place. And then she promised she was going to turn over certain documents. And then she turned over other documents. And this is stuff that I was mostly unfamiliar with. So uh, the mechanics of it, we have a great story from Christina Wong, a Breitbart's on the front page. Um, but I'm not sure why she's not being totally forthcoming about all the details of this. And she should. And I don't know if I'm seeing anything here that's the you know world's biggest red flag, but I'm curious about what the narrative is. And a lot of the other camps are pouncing on this, like uh, former Army Ranger Sean Parnell, who ran and then withdrew his candidacy and then is in endorsed McCormick. Um, he's trying to poke holes in some of the documents she's put forward, et cetera. So there's a lot of that at Breitbart News. We will have the... Uh, blow by blow throughout the day. But it's interesting because we're heading towards the primary and this is someone who has not been, got a big public vetting. Um, and 
perhaps we will find after public vetting that she's even more compelling. But it just seems like her, the fact that she's in the mix with two other candidates that have racked up huge endorsements from um, big-time mainstream players, I think is a surprise to people, and I think a pleasant surprise to a lot of people in this audience. But people are trying to figure out what's really going on, and I don't think people have a total, a full picture yet. Um, so interesting. The, an interesting race gets more interesting. Um, a couple other ones I will throw out there. A whistleblower revealed the FBI investigated concerned parents under Attorney General Merrick Garland's counterterrorism directive. Paul Boggs right up for us at Breitbart, also on the front page. But a 2021 October memorandum has expressed concern about a disturbing spike in harassment, intimidation, and threats of violence against school administrators, board members, teachers, and staff who participate in the vital work of running our nation's public schools. Probably a little bit over the top there. Though it's really that the parents are going to be violent. And that's the pretext. Because any sort of reasonable protest where you show up at a school board and said, hey, this is not the way that we want our kids educated with all the trans indoctrination. And um, when they're not really learning, they're, they're getting critical race theory and they're not getting reading, writing, arithmetic, which is what came out during the pandemic, that immediately what happens is the our government frames those parents as violent. Would love to see the evidence of that. But this was their uh, basis for spying on parents. Another interesting one is a shocking report came out the newsrooms are warning journalists to keep their abortion views private because activism could undermine our trusted views. This is according to a Vanity Fair report, which is really interesting. Certain news outlets had taken a little bit of a different tone after the felt as though uh, it had backfired when there was so much open activism by journalists after the Black Lives Matter riots in the summer of 2020. So this is an adjustment that's taking place that people are encouraging finally neutrality to return because it's just bad for business and some businesses can wear it as I wrote about breaking the news is a big theme of the book but other businesses just can't they can't cope Congressman Jim Banks has told the Pentagon to preserve documents on the un-American NewsGuard contracts this is so uh, awesome news I noted that NewsGuard which is the most foolish of the fact-checking organizations major subject of our reporting at Breitbart and of my book, Breaking the News, which is run by a group of establishmentarians in Washington, both a Democrat and Republican, but no anti-establishment types. And people who have pushed the Russian collusion hoax have done nothing to push back on any of the news outlets that have gotten all the major stories wrong over the last um, eight or 10 years. And they instead live to harass people like Breitbart. Remember, they uh, label our stories that are syndicated AP articles as false, and they label our store as false. The Breitbart.com store gets a red shield. So if you want to buy our merch, how ridiculous these people are. Um, Because they live to harass and attack us, try to waste a bunch of our time. And then they just got a huge contract with the Department of Defense to try to enforce uh, disinformation or misinformation rules from the U.S. Cyber Command. And um, this makes them uh, vulnerable, I think, to massive investigation. And um, it could backfire. I hope it does. Republicans get power. These people are live to shut down the business models of anti-establishment journalists like yours truly. 
That's what they want to do. And it's on their website. They say the whole point of us is so that advertisers can know where they're advertising, meaning that if you advertise at Breitbart, uh, we will give you the, uh, the we will give you the pretext of why you should not advertise there and thus deprive us, cut us off. And thus you can spend more of your advertising dollars for places like the New York Times. That's the whole point of NewsGuard. And it's backed by uh, some of the most dishonest people who are the most partisan. Like Michael Hayden, who is a um, deep state guy who basically thought Trump was a Nazi and pushed every conspiracy about Trump, period. Still, I don't know if that's the most amusing journalism headline of the day because the Washington Post, the Washington Post published an op-ed demanding that the George Washington University change their name. Time to move on from George Washington. I was written up in the Washington Post. Good stuff. Do you think I'm joking? I'm actually not. I'll take a break. I'll be right back. Our first guest today is Tom Homan, who is the acting ICE director under President Trump, and he's a fellow at Heritage right now, and he's assembling a massive coalition of both establishment and anti-establishment forces alike to provide a framework for a more hawkish immigration and border policy as soon as Republicans are able to implement it. But I do think that also uh, he can apply pressure ahead of time with a coherent plan. This is something I'm pretty excited about. I think we all are in Breitbart land, and it's great to hear it from him straight away. And here it is. I want to start with a framework that you're piecing together with a coalition of people. I think a lot of people who are familiar to the audience and the audience likes quite a bit laying out a framework for Republicans if they take back the House on the immigration issue in particular. This is exactly the sort of thing that we should be putting forward right now. Can you tell us about what's in the proposal and who's in it with you? Well, the most important thing to propose are the three loopholes that we've been asking Congress to close on us for the last eight years. And and if you close these three loopholes, uh, the crossings at the border would drop at least by 80%. And those three loopholes are real simple. For those that claim asylum at the border, the threshold is so low to pass that first interview. And it was made low on purpose because, you know, when, when Congress made the law, they certainly didn't want to send somebody back accidentally to be persecuted. So they, th- they set the threshold very low. However, so, so 90% will pass the threshold by just repeating the answers that the cartels teach them. But if they show up in court, if they show up in court, the threshold is much higher. So here's the difference. 90% of people who take that first interview at the border will pass. But you get in front of a judge, 94% don't pass. So we're asking Congress to raise that original threshold to closer to the judicial threshold so we don't have catch and release and, and people get order removed and not, not leave. The other thing that's in there is the TVPRA, Trafficking Victims Protection Act. Now, what we're saying is we'll still screen children to see if they're victims of trafficking. However, we want to treat children of Central America the same way we do Mexico and Canada. If you're from Mexico and Canada, you're from a contiguous country, and we, we determine you're not a victim of trafficking, 
you're immediately removed in Mexico. But if from Central America or other countries, you got a whole different process that takes years. So we're asking Congress to close that loophole. Let's treat children from other countries the same way we treat children from Mexico. If we can ascertain through interviews and evidence they're not a victim of trafficking, let us immediately return them. And the last thing is the Flores Settlement Agreement. That has to do with families. Sure. Now, when FY1415, when families first started coming across in a surge, we built family residential centers. We, we held them about 35, 40 days long enough to see a judge. Again, 90% lose their interview because they don't really qualify. We put them on airplanes, sent them home. And the numbers tanked. But then the Ninth Circuit decided, well, you can't hold them for tw- more than 20 days. Even though the judge knew we can no way we get them through the process in 20 days. It's just not possible through immigration courts. And in my affidavit, that lawsuit said, if, if you do this, you're going to see a surge of families that you've never seen before because they know that they won't be held enough long enough to see a judge get order removed and leave. But she didn't care. She said, I was a fear monger. I had no evidence. Well, you see what happened. So we can put the Florida Southern Agreement, let us detain family, families long enough to see a judge, let us change the Trafficking Victims Act to treat children from other countries, same we do in Mexico, and raise the asylum bar at the first interview. 80% of what we're seeing right now will go away. One thing that's very striking to me is the group of people that you've assembled with this and it is not just heritage, uh, which I think, you know, is seen uh, as part of the establishment in Washington, though I I think that uh, we've had many meetings with folks over at Heritage over the years at Breitbart, and they've certainly, uh, I think, changed their tune in a major way on immigration issues. But you're teaming with FAIR, the Federation for American Immigration Reform, Numbers USA, Eagle Forum. Uh, These are those more anti-establishment, hawkish immigration groups. It just seems like you've built a huge coalition of right of center Americans for this effort, which is so clear so that you can hit the ground running if Republicans take power. But is there something that can be done Done before? Is there any recourse, or is it just about planning and spreading the word um, uh, until something can be done? Well, first of all, let me comment on that. Yeah, I'm a senior fellow with Heritage. They brought me on board. They brought Mark Morgan on board, who is CBD yeah. commissioner. We got Lori Rise over there for CIS. We got Joe Edlow, who ran CIS. We got a lot of, you know, I, I would say conservative immigration. Um, believers like we all know where I stand immigration we all know where Mark Morgan stands and and they brought I think they brought a good team so I think you're right this is a really big development though it really is it really is a different it's a different look for a mainstream conservative thought in Washington no and you got it I think you're exactly hitting nail on the head you said they made a transition they did because I think at this point anybody with common sense can see we got a problem at the border and what I, we met with about 150 congressmen yesterday and went through the plan with them and talked to them why it's so important, how this would change the issues on the border. And so this should be day one. This should be H.R. 1. You take back Congress, this should be H.R. 1. Because what we tried to explain to them yesterday was I really pushed. Look, I don't care what your immigration opinion even is. But you, this is more than an immigration crisis right now. This is a, a public safety crisis because the amount of criminals coming across the border and gang members. It's a public health crisis because the fentanyl is coming across to kill over 100,000 Americans. But it's a national security crisis. I said Border Patrol is so overwhelmed. 50 to 70 percent are processing family units and the border is empty. I said there's 70 percent in some sectors, 70 percent of Border Patrol agents are no longer on the line. I says they arrested 42 people from, from, from uh, uh, they're on the terrorist watch list. I said, now taking the fact they've arrested people from 161 countries, over two and a half million since Joe Biden become president. 
Add to that the 700,000 gotaways. This, these are known gotaways based on camera traffic and drone traffic. If they arrested 42 on a terrorist watch list, how many of the 700,000 that got in this country without being arrested are on that same list? I said, so people, I don't care what your opinion is on immigration at this point. This is a national security crisis. We need to secure the border. You can't have national security if you don't have border security. So I think a lot of groups who sat on the fence now see this, this is way beyond an immigration crisis at this point. Uh, you're, you're correct on this. And uh, one of the people that's directly responsible is Alejandro Mayorkas, who's the Department of Homeland Security Secretary. Is He is, of course, a very pro-migration guy. But have you seen him give us any indication that he's got goals that protect Americans from drug smuggling, from criminal illegal aliens coming over, from economic migrants that are driving down wages for Americans. Uh, is he giving us anything that suggests that he takes that seriously? No, absolutely not. This man needs to be impeached on day one. And I told, I told the, the members we met yesterday, on day one, this man needs to be impeached because he's, he's, he, he violated the oath he took for office. He's no, he's not really, he's a secretary of Homeland Security and everything he's done and the president has done has made this homeland less secure. Every month he has failed. The numbers keep rising. I said, he was deputy secretary in FY1450, when I just told you what we did on the family groups and we, we shut that surge down, he was, he was a deputy secretary. So he knows what we did to shut the surge down. He knows if he would take those same moves now, we could stop this. So this man knows how to stop it and refuses to take any action. To this day, he's been in office. He's been the secretary for over 15 months. No one, including himself, can tell me, give me one thing, just one thing you have done to slow the flow. He's done nothing. Everything he's yeah. done is send more resources to the border to process quicker and release quicker so there doesn't appear to be overcrowding. So it's ah, nothing to see here, no crisis here. But he, what, what, he, what, he, what he understands, what he's ignoring, is that when you process quicker and you release quicker, that's just another magnet for the cartels to use. Hey, guys, I'll get you across the United States. You're going to be released in a couple of hours. This man has done nothing to secure our nation and, and, protect, and protect our borders. Nothing. So uh, you mentioned that you have spoken to Republicans in Congress. Uh, are there any key members, anyone in leadership that is on board with this framework? Well, look, with people in there yesterday, you know, we certainly had, uh, you know, uh, um, McCarthy was in the room. We got uh, Elise Stefanik in the room. Uh, we, got some, we got some really staunch congressmen that really truly believe in securing that border, like Chip Roy and, and, and you know, Louis Gomer and other people. But what I saw yesterday in that room, I saw more support for taking some action than I've never seen. Like I said, we've been asking Congress for years to close these loopholes. Yesterday, that room was full. And there's a lot of a lot of listening, a lot of learning. And I think at the end of the day, we all the, the, the panel, the four of us looked at each other and said, I think we made a difference. There's a lot of great questions and a lot of great uh, comments on what we're proposing. So I'm very confident that this plan we put together, it may not go 100 percent. Yeah. Even if they go 50 percent and close those three loopholes, that's a major win.
Uh, I think one of the cardinal sins of the Trump administration, of which you were a part and you were brought in later on, where you were former uh, ICE acting director, was that the they came in and they sort of went with more of an establishment playbook for the beginning of the administration. And then they moved to focus on immigration later on and were wildly effective. A lot of this was under your watch when the, when they switched gears to that. And I just want to emphasize that you agree that it should be the number one priority for the next Republican administration should be the issue of immigration and the border. Number one. And why? Because as I explained, this is a security issue. What I told him yesterday, so like 700,000 Godwits since he became president, 700,000. And it's from 161 countries. Many of those countries support terrorism. If you think, if you're going to sit there and think not a single person that crossed of, of the 700,000 Godwits came to this country to do us harm, then you're an idiot. You're ignorant. Because 700,000 is a scary number. If they arrested 42, terrorists don't want to be arrested. They're trained to invade law enforcement. So I said, I in 35 years of doing this job, I am more concerned right now about the state of this country than I've ever been. Look, after 9-11, we put all these processes in place, right? We got the, we got the no-fly list. We got the terror screening database. We got the visa security program. We put so many processes in place. It's hard to get a visa and hard to get an uh, air ticket to come to the United States. And we did that to put that in place to try to prevent terrorists from coming to the United States. And we have prevented thousands of them just through the terrorist, I mean, through the visa security program, people with derogatory information not getting a visa. All that, you might as well flush down the toilet. Because who's going to buy a plane ticket? Who's going to buy? A, who's going to try to get a visa and go through all those screening mechanisms when he can simply cross across, across the southwest border the way seven hundred thousand people did and got away with it? Look, all you got to do is pay the cartels extra money. So when they move a family group, two hundred family groups through this area over here, pay the cartel extra money, and once they move those families, they'll get you through where there's no protection because the border's tied up with the families. This is a huge national security issue. It needs to be number one. Tom Homan, again, former ICE acting director under President Trump and visiting fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Uh, he, with some other key people like Mark Morgan, who's been on the show a number of times, have put together a immigration framework that he is trying to bring conservatives, Republicans to his side on this to make sure that we're ready to go. On day one, if Republicans take power, this is exactly the type of uh, approach that needs to be taken, get people coached up uh, from the start. Uh, I have a, a, a number of additional questions, but I want to ask if you've heard from folks at ICE, because it's not 100% turnover, of course, when um, the administration switch. What is the morale like now? Is there anything in, in particular, any stories in particular that you're hearing that you're particularly concerned by? Uh, anything heartening? I'm guessing the answer to that is going to be no. Uh, but what are you hearing from your former colleagues and the folks who work for you at ICE? Like I hear from ICE agents almost every day, either through LinkedIn, to my website. But the morale, the morale is not existent. Look, last year in a historic surge, on the border, you know, the administration says 1.7. There's actually 1.9 uh, because you're not counting port of entry. So 1.9 encounters, 1.9 minute encounters. And, you know, like I said, 700,000 gotaways. The most, the most historic illegal alien crossings we've ever seen in the history of this nation. It's, they broke every record in the book. In that same year, I said the lowest number removal was in the history of the agency. And there was that 59,000. But if you take away the three and a half months of Trump, they actually did 26,000 removals. Understand this. Two and a half million crossings, 26,000 removals. ISIS hands are tied. They can't, if wow. you're a gang member and you get, 
if you get uh, booked in the Rikers Island in New York, if you don't have a conviction, you're, even though you're a gang member, you got arrested for raping a, a 12-year-old little girl, and you're in the country illegally, and you got a final order of removal that you, 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 so you're a fugitive from immigration fugitive, I just can't touch you because there's not a conviction. If, if you're a fugitive and the order came more than a year and a half ago, they can't look for you. We got 700,000 fugitives right now that were ordered removed by an immigration judge that refused to leave. ICE can't even look for them. So these guys are, are hamstrung. You know, this, it, you know, at the same time, they move the priorities so high up, and the secretary says, we're going to do this so we can concentrate more on public safety threats and the most significant criminals. Well, guess what? What they haven't told you, because they haven't released a report yet, the yearly report that always comes out in December, they're, they're five months past that. But I know what the report says because I have friends on the inside. They sure. removed less criminals than we did last year. And all they did is concentrate criminals, not fugitives, not recent border entries. All they did is talk about criminals, and they removed half of what we did last year when we were looking at all the other different priorities. So that was another lie by Mayorkas about concentrating on criminals. I said from day one, this administration comes in, they're talking about abolishing ICE. They'll never abolish ICE. They'll abolish the mission and they'll take your money away. They went from 55,000 beds, and right now they got 20,000 in custody. There's 10,000 right now, so you and I are speaking right now, there are 10,000 empty ICE beds already paid for by the taxpayer that they won't fill. They'd rather release them. ICE was ordered last year, in one year under Biden, they were ordered last year to release 14,000 criminals from detention. 14,000. So ICE is the morale is not existing. These men and women, I'm, you know, a lot, of, a lot, a lot of the leadership has left. They retired because they they cannot come into the office every day. Look at the men and women that, that work for them and tell them not to do their job and not to uphold the old. This is my follow up. Is it? Are they being told specifically? Do not arrest and deport most illegal aliens. I know there are certain ones who are arrested and deported, but it seems like for the most part your typical person is being told not to get arrested, not to get deported. Is that true? And if it is true, how could you, it just seems impossible to be told not to do your job essentially, but it it seems like that's exactly what's happening. It is exactly what's happening. They put a process in place. If you want to plan an arrest, you got to put it into the database, get approval before you make the arrest. And after the arrest is made, it gets the second review to find out if they want to detain them or not. So they say, you know, in the new policy, the secretary says, well, they still have discretion to make arrests. No, they don't. Because you put a system in place, they got to get pre-approval. Then after the arrest is made, then you second-guess the arrest and say, well, should we, should we release them or not? So, and, 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 and they've been told that the secretary, you see my, I've seen him at least three times during speeches telling people, like the mayor's conference, he said, uh, being in the country illegally, is not enough on its own to be arrested by ICE. So he, he put out a policy saying being in the country illegally, it's no longer illegal, I guess, because ICE can't arrest you. If, if, if I'm an ICE officer right now and I, I see a guy, I, I'm at a gas station right now. If I see a guy pumping gas that I've seen him and I've, been, I've deported him three times, I can't walk up to and arrest him because wow. he's just here illegally and he's a, he's a prior deport. I can't touch him. He's got to have a serious criminal conviction or be a national security threat. Think about that. That's where we're at. Tom Hoban is former acting ICE director, and he's a fellow at Heritage Foundation where he's put forward what appears to be pretty much a becoming a consensus framework for what to be done on the border and immigration. 
um, particularly when Republicans get uh, power, but in particular when they get the Congress back. If people want to get involved or spread the word, Director, what should they do? I go to Heritage's website and look at that policy. If here's what people need to do. They need to call their congressman or senator. I don't care if they're Republicans. I don't want to hear that. Well, the Democrats control Congress. Nothing we can do. I said yesterday, and it's a couple of congressmen echoed. They shouldn't be sitting down negotiating anything. They shouldn't like be it. talking about an infrastructure bill. They shouldn't be talking about a budget. They shouldn't be talking about Ukraine aid. They ought to be saying, you know what? We're not going to sit down and talk, talk to you about anything until you show us at least one thing you're going to do to hold the secretary accountable and secure our border because of this huge national security issue. I've been saying this six months. You know, you got, you got congressmen that run down the southwest. I'm talking Republicans now. They'll run down the southwest border, have the dog and pony show, come back to D.C., and not do a damn thing. So I, I, I brought up yesterday, and I was surprised the, re- the reception got by many, that you guys need to stop. You know, you, you just need to boycott. Say, you know what? We're not going to talk to you about anything until you take care of this national security issue. At least show us you're attempting to do something. And I think that's where we should go. So, you know, I've, I've called my representatives and, and told them the same thing. And, and you know, Lisa Stefanik, who I think is a patriot, she's my right. You know, I, I own a home up in New York, and uh, she is actually my congresswoman in, in, in the area that I live. And I told her yesterday the same thing. I, I love her. I said, you, you know, you need to walk away from the table until they come up with the, until they can give you something that's going to, you know, put a button on this national security issue. I'm telling you, I keep seeing national security. This scares the hell out of me. Who knows how many people across this country is going to do us harm? We don't know how many did, but someday we're going to find out. Tom, I'm going to appreciate the time and come back and tell me how it's going. You got it, sir. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. We'll take a break. Be right back. Vance is one of the regulars on the show, and he returns this time to get into the keys to his victory in the Ohio primary, but also uh, some pretty compelling discussion about globalism and China and how America's leadership class does seem to be settling for incredibly mediocre results. And uh, maybe it's all part of a larger plan, a larger design that we need to start understanding and then fighting back against in an effective way. Uh, Really compelling, as always, with JD. Let's play. J.D., congrats to you. And we had a sense things were going to go well the last time you were on, so I don't think it was a big shock to the audience that you were able to pull it off. But, again, reflecting on it, I mean, it was a long, hard-fought race and one where it seemed like you just had a really terrific strategy and not just that you were able to frame the issues the correct way, but I think that the town hall approach was really crucial, that you did went and mingle and talk to the people um, am I right on that? Is that the, what do you attribute the success, your success in the race? Oh, I think that's right. I mean, it definitely helped a lot. Uh, it also, you know, helped prepare us in ways I didn't fully appreciate for the debates because, you know, there was nothing the moderators threw at us that I wasn't, I wasn't already hearing from, you know, from people all over the state of Ohio. Uh, that was very helpful. You know, obviously, you know, the, getting the president's endorsement at the critical moment was was hugely powerful for us. And I think, you know, I, I sort of expected that Trump would not want to sit out of the race and he would eventually choose a horse and so yeah i think there was a sense that we were kind of you know rising at the right moment he saw me as most aligned on the issues and that was very helpful 
Um, but, you know, it, it, I mean, a lot had to go right. And, uh, you know, a lot of it's strategy, a little bit of it is luck. And, uh, you know, we're just happy to be here. Yeah, I do think that the timing of it is so unbelievable. It's funny to look at, and I don't need to opine on it, but uh, we're, we're tracking towards the Pennsylvania primary, which is interesting because it just seems like it just dawned on everyone in the last 24 hours to try to figure out who Kathy Barnett is, which, they, I mean, the yeah. race has been going on for months, and it just kind of felt like people are just going, quick, let's figure out who this lady is. She, she could win. And it's just such a funny thing because it's, um, I, I don't know if five days is enough time. And we might find she's the greatest of all time. And, and I know you spoke on behalf of Dr. Oz uh, recently, but it, it is, it's interesting because we don't, I don't think people have a sense of who she is and she very well could win. And I just think that's kind of a remarkable thing. And it, part of it is that, you know, there's not enough media interest in the right stuff because the media is focused on, I guess, advancing um, in the radical abortion bills, which I do take on that. But it is a, it, 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 it is a moment, JD, where there's so much going on in the news, it's sometimes hard to sort out what you think is the biggest thing going i know you've really young kids we all we have uh, which is kind of a amusing thing for the audience jd and i i think have uh, three kids that are all the exact same ages which is kind of yeah. wild uh and, and <laughs> like, like within like a couple weeks of all and i think we're the only ones who are moving at this exact pace there's no one who's i think we're the only two who are cramming in so many kids in such a small amount of time that i know of yeah. um but uh, are you feeling the baby formula crisis because that to me has got to be number one at least today it, it just is you know i'm scrambling i'm spending time i'll be going around hunting around to stores try to stock up today and it's just it's going to be hard i don't expect success this is insane to me the united states of america you can't get baby formula yeah no it's definitely uh it's insane um you know, my, my, my wife breastfeeds, so it's not as, as significant of an issue for us just yet, though. You know, I, I'm like a prepper, Alex. I think you know this. But, you know, whenever we have a baby, I always buy up, like, you know, I always get bags of rice and a ton of ammunition just because there's something, like, evolutionary. I think it's triggered in my brain whenever we have a new kid. Um, so I, I definitely, you know, we stock up on this stuff, and it's just impossible. You can't buy it. And, of course, you know, baby formula doesn't last forever, so it's not like you can buy it a year ago and just let it sit forever. Uh, I definitely notice it, you know, uh, our kids get, you know, they get ear infections and things like that. And so every time I go to the store, every time I go to the pharmacy, I just look and see, and it's just, it gets, you know, it was bad three months ago. It's now like impossible to find most of the formulas that I would say to people that I know use. Uh, so that's obviously a huge issue. You know, the inflation crisis, a huge, huge problem. Uh, Biden, I think just continues to pour gasoline on the fire without fixing any of our underlying economic problems um you know i, I obviously the, this russia ukraine situation is really uh, seems to be spiraling out of control and i and i worry uh, that we're becoming uh the united states is actually not doing the right things over there um you know I, we have a lot of small farmers in ohio we have some big farmers too and you know we have a, this massive fertilizer sanction on the russians and the idea of these sanctions was that it was going to make vladimir putin poor well, in, in practice, actually, the price of fertilizer went up. Vladimir Putin seems to be doing just fine, and Ohio farmers can't afford fertilizer, which means all of us are not going to be able to afford food uh, a few months down the road. So we, we just have we have so many crises; it's hard to pick one. But it's hard to believe we live in theoretically the most powerful economic uh, nation in the history of the world, and yet our children and our mothers can't get formula for their babies. Yeah, it is literally an example of the uh, of what is like in communist China it is the most smuggled thing into communist China from places like Taiwan has traditionally been baby formula. And so now uh, it's 
just amazing that we're in the same spot, which is, I think, resonant with this audience. And here's another one that I've not brought up to the audience that is going to be a major story that we're working on today at Breitbart. But the FDA has reported a huge shortage in this contrast media known as IV contrast. This is something that is used with CT imaging to track the the progress of diseases, particularly things like cancer. And this is totally reshaping the way hospitals have to function. Uh, And I've heard directly from doctors about this, that they cannot do their job. They cannot track the progress of people's cancer because we're out of this uh, CT imaging. These are all things that with the Republican president, J.D., I think that we would be hearing about this 24-7, but because the Democrats yeah. control all three houses of Congress, um, you have to, you know, in, in hour three on conservative talk radio, maybe we'll, we'll, it'll get a 30-second mention. And that's all. I, this is life and death stuff. This is not playing around. This is this is deadly stuff that's happening. Yeah, I saw Jim Shudo uh, in the last couple of days was was claiming that the inflation data was actually good because it had gone down from 8.5% in March to 8.3% in April. And I, I right. just when I saw that, I thought, what a, what a delight it must be, especially as a Republican candidate, to have the media cover for you like that. Because mm. um, they never do that for us, but they certainly do that for the yeah. Biden administration. You know, I mean, I use this phrase a lot on the campaign trail, Alex, manage decline. It feels sometimes yeah. like our leaders are just slowly allowing the country to slip into decline. And sometimes it's hard to see, but right now it's very obvious to see. And I have to say, this, this highlights one of the reasons why we need an America first trade policy and an America first supply chain policy, because you know, we're finding out the hard way when China, uh, which, which makes way too much of our stuff, when they shut down their entire economy, when they shut down our country, as they're doing right now, um, you know, we, we become affected by that. Right. Uh, this is the problem with allowing other people, people who don't like you very much to make all your stuff, is that they actually have you uh, by the you know what when they decide to shut down their economy. And right. I've looked at you know what's going on in China and obviously paid attention to it. And, you know, everyone says, well, why is China locking down? Why is China shutting down? This is the stupidest policy. We tried this in America for two years. And, yeah, from the perspective of containing COVID, it doesn't make a ton of sense. From the perspective of inflicting pain on the United States, maybe it does make sense. And this highlights why we need to make our own stuff in this country. You know, and this is something where, not to be cynical about it, but it does put you in a, I think, a uniquely positive position um, you're in your Senate race because you've been advancing this for since before you were a politician, that we're, uh, we've made a huge mistake being so dependent on China and having so much of our supply chains run through China. And you're seeing these massive lockdowns in China that continue and are probably even greater than we've seen. And the media reports have been very extensive on that. Of course, it's going to have an effect when we're not, we're not doing anything to get ourselves off of our addiction to uh, having our supply chain go through China. Uh, that's exactly right. <clears throat> and in fact, you know, Biden and a lot of Republicans, unfortunately, are talking about weakening the tariffs on China, which is one of the reasons why you start to saw start to see under President Trump some of those companies, some of that manufacturing, some of the supplies moving back closer to home. And th- this to me is like really the economic question the next 30 years for this country is are we going to commit to being self-sufficient and making our own things uh, or are we going to continue to allow our entire prosperity to be held hostage by countries like China. I mean, th- th- that is the issue. And unfortunately, you have far too many Republicans and, of course, the entire Democrat Party that's gotten rich off the way that we do business with China. This is one of the things that you know, managed decline is bad for normal Americans, but it's actually pretty good if you're one of the people who have profited from the decline. 
Uh, and th- this is, you know, where Republicans like we have to wake up to what's going on in the country. We, we are being led by people, many of whom have gotten rich by doing business with our biggest geopolitical foe. And they don't have, you know, they're not as worried about the lack of baby formula. Uh, they're not as worried about the fact that things are getting more and more expensive, of course, because they've, they've profited greatly from what's going on. And, man, we, we have got to reverse course uh, or we're going to wake up in a country and, and all of us are going to look around and say, well, what happened? How do we become uh, a weak country? And the, the answer is the seeds that we're planting right now. Yeah, or the seeds that we're not planting, or, or maybe they, yeah. those those mystery seeds from China. You remember when they did that? It's the <laughs> they they were sending this, and then people just started planting them. Just unbelievable. I had some strange seeds show up in my house recently, and I'm wondering if it's uh, if, if we're going to see another one of those cycles. Um, but one thing that you also I think showed some leadership on is, and you're a veteran, uh, pointing out that we can't be spending all this money on Ukraine, particularly when we've got 40-year high inflation, we don't have baby yep. formula. Uh, it's the And you were smart on this because I'm pretty sympathetic to what the Ukrainians are doing and what Zelensky's doing overall. I'm not a fan of Putin. Uh, and I like the idea of America helping to some degree, but it's just so out of control that it used 13 billion last month and 40 billion this month. And do we have any idea where that money's going to go or do we just cut the check and then... Um, it goes on the, you know, the federal debt and then that's it. And we're just done with it. And is there any auditing that goes on? Is there any accountability? Could I figure out where the 40 billion went? Is there a way to keep track of it? No, of course there isn't. And this is one of the big problems with our policy towards Ukraine. It's been a lot of emotional reaction um, and not a lot of, of, of hard nosed thinking, hard headed thinking about what's exactly. going on. I mean, look, I'm sympathetic to the Ukrainians too, Alex. I don't want Russia to invade sovereign countries. Uh, but you get called a Putin stooge, and I've been called a Putin stooge more times than I can count in the last three or four months, by pointing out the obvious that while, yes, Russia should not have invaded Ukraine, there are a lot of members of Ukrainian leadership who are corrupt people. I mean, how many times have we seen stories about Ukrainian leaders fleeing the country with, with pallets full of cash, with bags full of cash? Well, that's American cash very often. And uh, no, we, we don't know where this money is going. And if you look at the, just the, the numbers here, right, $13 billion last month, $40 billion this month, is it going to be $100 billion the month after that? Uh, w- w- is this actually accomplishing any objective? Right. We know that the, right. English, the English are saying to the, to the Ukrainians, uh, you should not stop fighting because you know, we want you to continue effectively a proxy war uh, against the Russians. You have many of the Ukrainians, I think, who would like to make peace. I think the Russians who have been humbled and, and humiliated because they thought this was going to be an easy fight, and it wasn't. Um, th- there, are, there are things that we could do to de-escalate this situation. About a month ago, I, I want to say, Donald Trump came out with a statement and basically said, look, this is a, this is a slaughter. Uh, this is not good. It could escalate and get much, much worse. The United States should be working to de-escalate this situation and achieve peace. And, and no one is really doing that. Well, why? You know, wh- why aren't we trying to end this war? Do we really want this to spiral and spiral and spiral to where, you know, worst case, you get a nuclear conflict? And best case, you know, what do we get out of this exactly? Um, you know, m- maybe a refugee crisis to the tune of millions and millions of people. Is that really what is in the best interest of America and our allies? I don't think so. Uh, and, and, and again, like everything from the sanction policy to the way that we're spending money, it just seems like we're throwing, you know, solutions at a problem and not thinking about what we can do to make it better. J.D. Vance is on. He's jdvance.com for his website at jdvance1 on Twitter. The top priority right now for the Democrats right now 
is the uh, issue of abortion. They put forward a very radical piece of legislation that was rejected by the Senate, which basically nullifies most states' rights on this issue. Um, it's a, where does your opponent, Tim Ryan, stand on abortion right now for those in the Ohio audience? Yeah, well, to step back a little bit, I mean, this is maybe why uh, the, the, the Democrats have gone so radical on the abortion issue is, is, is the baby formula crisis, right? Maybe their attitude is, look, there are no babies. We don't have to worry about the baby formula crisis. And I, I, I really oh, think that there's something very anti-child at the core of the Democrats' policy agenda. And Tim Ryan is at the top of the list. I mean, look, look I'm, you know, Alex, I'm 100% pro-life. Um, it's a very important issue to me. I can accept that reasonable people will disagree with me, but Tim Ryan is defending abortion up to 40 weeks, uh, abortion on demand up to 40 weeks. I mean, this is a radical abortion policy that even very liberal countries in Europe do not permit and do not allow. And and you, you start to, to realize that these people are so dedicated to the most radical ideas on abortion that, 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 that they're defending things that are barbaric anywhere and in any country in the world, even countries much more left-wing than the United States is. Uh, that's where Tim Ryan is, uh, and we're going to draw that cr- contrast pretty clearly over the next six months. The, the problem, I think, for Tim Ryan is that he's not running to represent the voters of Ohio. He's running to represent the radical left-wing interest groups in Washington, D.C. No, e- even a lot – I mean, most Democrat voters in Ohio do not want abortion on demand at 40 weeks. But there's a very narrow slice of Democrat activists who do, and that unfortunately is who Tim Ryan is appealing to. Uh, this is precisely right, and uh, ultimately is why you have primaries. You try to pick the best Republican you can pick, but then after that, uh, you have to stop Democrats. And I've said this uh, over and over again because they end up just they vote they vote the same. They might be seem like nice guys, uh, you know, Doug Jones out in Alabama. It seemed like a you know a relatively nice guy, but it's he votes with the Democrats. Like if you're voting with Democrats, like it is you are causing massive problems. It's just always important to reset uh, on on that issue. But I got to get your reaction as someone who is a uh, is someone who went to one of the most prestigious law schools, Yale Law. Uh, it, th- this reaction to that this administration has rubber stamped the idea of protesting Supreme Court justices outside of their homes um, for political purposes. And the Attorney General Merrick Garland will not enforce the federal law saying you can't do this. I, I, again, one of these sleeper stories that you feel like if the shoe was on the other foot and it was Republicans doing this, it'd be 24-7. This would be considered an insurrection. This would be like January the 6th. Oh, it's it's so bad. Um, and, and you have to remember, of course, the Roe opinion has not been issued. It's just a draft. Correct. So they're explicitly trying to pressure and harass Supreme Court justices into doing something that is against you know the Constitution, right? So, so we want Supreme Court justices to be able to operate independently without this harassment. And the Democrats are sanctioning it, I think, because, I mean, this is why I think the opinion was leaked in the first place. They wanted to spin up a propaganda and harassment campaign against these justices. And look, these people should be getting arrested and they should be going to prison. You cannot go to a Supreme Court justice's house against federal law and pressure them to rule your preferred way on a, on a, on a, on a, on a constitutional issue that is fundamentally against the law it's against the principles of american of the, of the american constitutional republic and it, it, it you know, the democrats are basically sanctioning lawlessness if you think about the black lives matter protests if you think about you know the fbi agents who who spied on donald trump in 2016 if you think about the fact 
that they were declaring, you know, parents protesting critical race theory, domestic terrorists, even as they're allowing these actual aggressive protesters uh, to protest against federal law. All of these things sum up to if you have the right politics, the Biden administration says that you don't have to follow the law in this country. Uh, it's it's the it's the most basic violation of law and order. I'd like to see Glenn Youngkin go in and frankly arrest these people that are protesting Me outside too. of Alita's house because we need to do something about this or this is going to spiral into full scale lawlessness in this country if it hasn't already. JD, I know you got to run, so come back soon. JDVance.com. You can also go to JDVance One on Twitter and definitely a race we'll be watching very closely into November. Congrats again, and I uh, will talk to you soon. Alex, see you. I got American That's today's show. Thanks so much to Robert Marlowe, who helps me pick topics. Producer Haley and Greg Eben make everything sound so good. And all of you who make the show possible by telling 10,000 friends and family members about what we do at Breitbart. Thanks so much. Talk to you tomorrow. And I want-